citizens. Welcome back to the Past for Plebs. I'm your host, Sean. It's an honor to welcome you back to the show. Uh, today we're going to be reviewing the movie Gladiator for historical accuracy uh, and or not so much. I think you'll find that it's a little bit lacking in the historical accuracy department, but we're going to go into that in more detail. Uh, in the meantime, let's strap yourselves in, get ready. I love ancient Rome. I think you will too. Uh, and if you haven't seen the movie, just a mini spoiler alert, we are going to go into some detail in this movie. So I would strongly suggest you stop listening right now. Go check it out. It's a great film. It's a feel-good movie. It's a great Saturday night, Sunday night movie. Uh, and, and I personally love it. It's one of my favorites. So without further ado, let's take a look at Gladiator. So let's jump right into it. I have two categories of things I want to talk about. Um, the pros and cons, or the good and bad. The good, the bad. Uh, what did they do well in Gladiator? And what did they do poorly? What is it, What needs work? Um, and frankly, I think we're going to find that surprisingly they did better than we thought uh, when you typically think of Hollywood historical movies. Um, and so that being said, let's take a look at five things that Gladiator did really good. We'll start with the good news. We'll start on a high note. And then we'll look at five things that Gladiator did uh, poorly or they struggled with. Um, so yeah, first thing on the list is historical setting. Now I have to say from from reading up on on Rome during this period, uh, really just during the second century in general, so that's the 100s of uh, ancient Rome, they didn't, they didn't do too bad a job as, show, as far as showing what Rome looked like, uh, wearing costumes and things like that. They really didn't do a bad job, uh, especially uh, with the beginning of the movie. The beginning of the movie takes place right on the battlefield. Um, you see real historical characters. You see the emperor Marcus Aurelius. You see, the, of course, later on in the movie, uh, very, very quickly, you meet Emperor Commodus, the, the, the emperor afterwards, his son. And then you do see a bunch of other really real historical characters. Uh, and then, of course, you do see real historical culture. You see this, okay, so this is the culture of Rome. These, these places really do exist, right? There is a Colosseum. There is an ancient Germania. There were wars like this, right? So just in general, the historical setting, places, sort of the look and feel of things is really well done. And I want to give Gladiator credit for that. Um, going a little deeper, that goes into our number two, is uniforms and costumes. I mean, especially in the first couple scenes where you really see uh, the Roman army sort of play out, I mean, it looks great. It looks phenomenal. I mean, they're actually, you, if you look closely, you'll see Roman soldiers wearing furs, uh, things like that. And you're probably wondering, well, how do we know that Romans wore that kind of stuff? I mean, do we have pictures and stuff like that? Well, not, not so much pictures. Uh, but actually, when Romans used, to, when Roman generals and emperors used to come back from campaigning, they would actually sort of put up these monuments for their campaigns. Now, you're probably familiar with, you know, famous ones like uh, the Arc de Triomphe in, uh, in France. That's put up by Napoleon in almost like an, an, a remembrance, an honoring of the ancient Roman tradition. Uh, there's a famous, you know, um, arc that Emperor Constantine puts up after winning his famous battle at Milvian Bridge. There's, a, uh, there, there's several arcs, but there's also, they would put up these columns. So it looked like a traditional column, and spiraling up the column, you would have chiseled out scenes from the campaign. Really neat stuff. And we have Marcus Aurelius's columns. So when you look in there, there's scenes, and you can see what the Romans look like. And some of the Romans at this point are actually wearing pants, uh, and they're dressing 
a little more barbaric on the front lines of the battlefield. So that's really weird because you see sort of like this breakdown of what a Roman soldier looks like. And so that's why the uniform, it is standard. They do have the big shield, uh, the body shield, the square um, shield that they're using. They do uh, carry spears. They carry swords, uh, pilums, to be, or pilums, pilums to be exact, the type of spear they carry, a gladius, which is the type of sword that they would carry. Uh, and their armor looks pretty accurate. But as far as the extra stuff, the fur and the pants that they might be wearing, that is new to Roman culture. And I think the movie hits on that really well. They're all wearing it, and it looks pretty neat um, and authentic. As far as Romans go, in Rome, togas all day long. There's no doubt they were wearing togas. They were wearing um, tunics. Uh, this is just how it goes. Um, you know, I mean, no one's wearing pants in Rome at this point. Uh, not for a, not for a while. Um, but but. You know, togas are basically Roman fashion at this point, and I think they do a really good job of highlighting that. Um, okay, so moving along, the next next point I want to point out, this is number three, is the character of Marcus Aurelius. You really get a good feel for who he is. I know he's only in the movie for a little bit. Oh, spoiler alert on that one. Um, but he's only in the movie for a little bit. Uh, I won't give away what happens to him. But nonetheless, uh, he sort of comes off as this, you know, very, very aged man, very humble, though. He, he knows a lot. He's very knowledgeable, but he's not pushy. You know, he's not show-offish like, look what I've done. Or is he? Well, actually, I guess he kind of is a little bit too much. Um, but that being said, he is the emperor, so there has to be some wiggle room there. But overall, you kind of get this feel that um, he's an older man, and he's really he's really ready to settle down and pass on his legacy. Uh, so that's definitely something I think they did really well. And if you read Marcus Aurelius's Meditations, I think you'll get that feel for him. And actually, historians usually refer to him as uh, more of a gentle emperor, more of a not-so-much-a-go-getter. And in fact, contemporaries of the time really didn't like him for it. They, they wanted their emperor tough, meaty, grindy, you know, ready to just crank down and, and, and kill people. And Marcus Aurelius didn't start off that way. So I think you can see that nicely in this movie. Um, after this, uh, I would say number four is definitely social mobility. You see, specifically with the main character, Maximus Decimus Meridius, uh, played by Russell Crowe, uh, I mean, he starts off as a general, which is a very high position. Um, it's like one of the highest. In fact, if you're a general at this point, you're pretty much on the fast track to potentially becoming emperor. So you're like right up there with the big dogs. Um, he goes from general to being a slave, bumped down quite a bit. Slaves are literally at the bottom. They are next to dirt. Uh, act, in fact, they were treated as dirt. They were expendable. And, you know, Of course, you know you had to pay for them and stuff, POWs, if you could get some. But it was a commodity. It was a trade at good. So you're pretty much next to dirt. And then, of course, he jumps into Gladiator. Now, uh, we're going to get into this a little later. Uh, this kind of leaks into another category of mine. But you're going to find that Gladiator is actually a different class. Uh, they are slaves. They're commodities. But in this time period, Gladiators were seen as a little better than just the average Joe slave. Um, that's also something, again, we're going to get into later because it's something that I don't think they portray very well. But, but that's, a, that's a little sneak peek. Uh, but nonetheless, social mobility is a thing during this time. Um, now you see it go one way, but the other way, um, gladiators would would fight in the games, and if they did really well, they would become pretty famous. Um, these are athletes; these are like star athletes of the day. And so, if the gladiator did really well, then yes, you know, you would see money, fame go towards this gladiator, uh, and it was pretty common for for people to to 
you know, bet on their favorite gladiator or, or, or to go and see someone that they knew. Uh, and I think Gladiator does this pretty well. You know, you kind of get a feel that Russell Crowe's character sort of grows and be- into this fame, and you see him face off against, you know, other really big names, which is pretty cool. Um, the next thing I wanted to show is, or highlight, is the Roman army. So going back to the beginning of the movie, you really just get a great feel for the Roman army. So I know I mentioned the columns already, but as far as the tactics go, a little choppy. I don't know that they would be in, in 100% lines. A lot of times you're working in elite, in sort of like uh, smaller cohorts, which is, you know, a unit of, t- of 80 men. Um, but that being said, you know, 80, whereas in, if you watch the movie in the first scene, you see this huge line of men. And that's not really the way they do it. They would sort of operate a little more flexible, in fact. But what I love is that they show siege machines. They show sort of um, composite tactics where they have cavalry moving around. And and they really just destroy the enemy as far as tactically goes. So that's something they did really well. Um, Now, of course, you know, movies never get it perfect. And there's no way to really know how they moved entirely. We have some – we have, like, sources like Vegetius, which is uh, about 100 – almost 200 years after this, where he sort of writes about the Roman strategies and and the Roman tactics on the battlefield. Um, That's something that we're going off of 200 years earlier, maybe a little different, maybe a little different than that. But we can kind of picture, and I think this brings it to life, and it definitely stokes the imagination, and I really love it. I think it's it's beautifully done. So now we are going to the five things that were not so historically accurate. This is a historian's dream because we always love to pick out, oh, that's not really true, that's not accurate, ooh. So this is the part where we're going to do that. So first, right out of the gate, we're going to go pretty heavy. Emperor Commodus, I want to come down hard on the antagonist of the story. Um... I mean, in the movie, he's crazy, you know, he's kind of weird, he throws all these games and stuff, and, you know, at the end, he fights against Russell Crowe in the Colosseum. I mean, that's unheard of, an emperor doing that kind of thing, and actually, that's real, That's, that's historically accurate to say that it would be weird for an emperor to do that. But the, the, the historically inaccurate part is not that he did it. It's that they actually didn't show enough. I mean, the actual Emperor Commodus was nuts. He used to go in the games, like, all the time. He probably spent more time on in the Colosseum, like, fighting, than he did watching it. This guy was nuts. Uh, and then also, of course, the fate of Commodus. At the end, you see... Uh, uh, spoiler alert. So if you're watching this and you haven't seen the ending yet, stop this podcast right now and go watch Gladiator. Then come back. I'll give you five seconds to turn it off. Okay, so now I'm going to give away the ending. So at the end of the movie... Uh, <laughs> Maximus literally kills him on the battlefield, right out, right in the right in the Colosseum, just stabs him right in the neck. Um, and they're fighting, of course, you know. Um, that's not true. That's not really how it happened. Uh, it's actually much more infamous than that, um, and, and actually embarrassing. He is actually strangled to death by one of his gladiatorial trainers, uh, the conspirators who all hate him, coming from the Senate. The Senate didn't like him big shock there and i think the movie kind of did a good job with that too but anyway they paid these guys and they say hey listen uh you're close to commodus all the time he trusts you choke him in his bath and he does he dies boom that's it so that's really upsetting um but i think the movie actually made it a little more epic they made it okay he died with dignity at least he died fighting uh and that's not true so yeah commodus way underplayed way underplayed Following into that, I think the Colosseum, this is my next point, the things that they did bad and poorly, the Colosseum was underplayed. The Colosseum was the absolute 
most awesome place to go. Uh, and, and they put so many resources into it. I mean, this thing seats 50,000 people in the ancient world. A city of 1 million people, 50,000 people at once could go and see games. I mean, there are stadiums now that don't seat that many. So I think it's really important that we, that we realize that this is a pinnacle of existence in Roman, in Roman history. Um, it shows Roman culture and everything. But, but more importantly, the gladiators themselves were seen as almost like racehorses today. Like they are pampered, they are trained, they are run, they are trained up. I mean, these guys are treated better than, better than most, that's for sure. They exercise, they're massaged, they're oiled, they, they take baths. You know, these guys are clean and, they, and they're trained to fight each other. So it's not like, you know, they're just throwing random slaves and stuff into the arena and saying, all right, good luck. It's much more planned, it's much more orchestrated. People did die for sure. I mean, that was sort of the point. But I mean, it was a it was a show. It was a performance, not so much just a slaughter. And so I feel like they really undertoned that because in the in the movie you get the sense that these guys are untrained. They're just plucked from, you know, who knows where, and uh, then they're just thrown into the arena. And good luck. No, that's not always the case. It did happen, but it was not always the case, especially not at the Colosseum. There were smaller arenas where that may have happened, but uh, no, they were trained and, and basically for sport. Next, I want to go to number four. Number four is more of a political one. They definitely exaggerated the power and the belief people had in the Senate. And in the beginning of the movie, Marcus Aurelius alludes to that he doesn't want his son to become emperor and that he wants the Senate to take over. Um, the opposite was actually true. In fact, Marcus Aurelius was the first in a long time to actually break the rules and have his son become emperor. A lot of times when we think of like emperors and monarchy, you think, oh yeah, my son is going to become king, and then his son will become king, and then his son will become king, and it'll just go on forever. Well, that was actually not normal in ancient Rome. In ancient Rome, a lot of times the emperor, it was very much a meritocracy. The emperor would sort of look around and say, okay, so this general over here is pretty cool. He's good at what he does. I'm going to adopt him as my son and then I'll train him up to be emperor. That was kind of the status quo, and, it, and actually at this point, I mean, the last four or five emperors were doing that. You know, they were, it, was the, it was the standard. It was very weird that Marcus Aurelius said, hey, Commodus, my son, you're going to be emperor. And actually, it's ironic because it ends up ruining Rome in a way. Um, so that's definitely something that was, that was over-exaggerated, is just the faith they had in the Senate. And also at this point, the Senate has literally no power. Um, a few emperors ago, they start, you know, kind of purging the Senate and really, really just undermining their power, what little they had left. By this point in Roman history, by 180s ancient Rome, I mean, nothing. No power at all. It's literally just a pageant. You know, it's, it's, the senators have no swing. My fourth point that they did poorly was the end of the movie. Right after, giving it away, but right after Emperor Commodus is killed in the Colosseum. Everyone gathers around and they kind of, kind of sing Kumbaya and they say, okay, now that the bad guy was defeated, Rome is good now. We're going we're gonna to bring back the glory days of Rome. Everything's all good and we'll see you later. No, the opposite actually happened. Um, right after Commodus dies, I mean, several, several generals start warring for power. Decades of civil war ensue. I mean, Partanax fights against some other generals and 
all these guys start fighting, and it's just like the Roman Empire is done. They it, it's reached its peak, and it's start. It's, it's the downhill start. And historians usually mark this period as a huge turning point in Roman history. They go from like re- a bunch of really great emperors, literally into a bunch of not great emperors. I mean, it's bad. It's really bad. So I think I think the movie leaves you on this kind of like feel good, you know, Hollywood feel good kind of kick. And it is not the case at all in actual history. And then, of course, my last point, the final point I have for things that they did poorly, is that the main character, Maximus Decimus Meridius, played by Russell Crowe, doesn't even exist. He's not a real character anywhere in history, never mind this place. Uh, He's made up. uh, And they do a good job of making him a feel-good character, a really great protagonist. It's almost like they took like the, the, the principles and strengths of 2005 when the movie came out and just copied and pasted it into 180s Rome. So, I mean, you kind of get a feel for, okay, this guy's larger than life. He's, he's, he's doing really, really great things. And that's kind of why you get that sense because he's not real. He's completely made up. So, yeah, so those are my 10 points, 10, 10 historical points, five of each, five good ones, five bad ones. Let me know what you think. I think there's definitely wiggle room here. Uh, you can definitely debate me on this if you feel like it. Shoot me a message um, and, and, and respond to this video because I think, I think good conversation can come out of this video. Uh, but ultimately, I think Gladiator is an awesome movie. I love it as a child. I, I, I always love this movie. Uh, and I think uh, I'm going to go watch it right now because it's a great movie. So now we've reached the part in the show where I want to highlight a person in history. Um, this person is sort of transformed into legend over time. And the reason I chose this person today is because actually the character of Maximus Decimus Meridius is very, very much designed around the idea of this character, around the legend of this character. The character is none other than Lucius Quintius Cincinnatus, also known as just Cincinnatus. Um, This guy was a Roman long before Marcus Aurelius was emperor. Uh, Marcus Aurelius, to give give you an idea here, Marcus Aurelius is emperor in 180 CE or AD. Uh, Cincinnatus was uh, consul and dictator back in 460 BC. That's like 600 years of separation, almost 700 years of separation there. So, so this guy is definitely larger than life, and I think they really took this guy as a model and placed him uh, in in Gladiator as sort of like Maximus's character or Russell Crowe's character. Now, that being said, more about the actual man of Cincinnati. So he is a patrician during the early Republic period. So this, the Republic is like a brand new thing. It's only like a little more than 100 years old. But the idea here is that what he did was he became dictator. And I know that's a bad word in modern day society, but in ancient Rome, it was actually a position. They would say, hey, you know, we're under, a, we're under some pressure here. We're being invaded or something. There's some type of an emergency going on. And what they would do is they would take their two consuls, which is kind of like modern day president, basically, the leaders of Rome. They would take one of their main, main guys and they would say, hey, we're going to appoint you to dictator. So you're the only guy in charge. And it's kind of like an emergency protocol. It's like DEFCON, DEFCON 1, right? 
But what's cool is is that what you see in Cincinnati is he's actually a farmer who doesn't really want to be ruler of Rome. And so what happens is everybody says, we need help, we need help. Let's get the guy that doesn't want power in power because it's sort of like the selfless service kind of thing. He has to sacrifice what he really wants, which is just to retire on his farm. And he goes into service, and then after he, he, he defeats the enemy, he comes back and he says, you know what, I'm done. I'm going to go retire. Here you go, Senate. You can have the power back. Now, this probably sounds a lot like Maximus, and it probably sounds like someone else in history, and that would be George Washington. Uh, when, right after the Revolutionary War, George Washington has the ability and actually has very many opportunities to say, hey, I'm going to be king now or I'm going to be military dictator, and everyone would have just given it to him. But he really said, you know what, no, it's not worth it. I'm going to retire to my farm, and uh, you guys you guys have, have a nice day. So that's that – and I, and I think Washington was probably going for that, and I, I think he, you know, he really genuinely didn't want power. But I feel like he, he was definitely appeasing to this Cincinnati idea. Um, and so if you've ever been to Cincinnati, oh, you're probably thinking, wow, maybe that's where the name came from. And you're right. It was named after this guy. So that's really cool. I wanted to highlight him. Um, definitely a legend in history. And I think you can see his character reflected in Russell Crowe's character. All right, everyone. So that wraps up the show. Thanks again for for your for coming together and uh, listening. Uh, I know it took a little longer to get this episode out, but uh, but I wanted to make sure it was good, and I wanted to really give a good analysis of Gladiator for you, uh, at least you know a complete one. Um, that being said, you'll also probably notice on the main podcast page we have a new logo. So courtesy of my dear friend Nick Dawkus, uh, he put that together for me. So hopefully we'll have new artwork to come in the future too. And uh, yeah, so we're really coming along, and I think we're we're about ready to uh, also touch, lift off our, our Twitter feed. So if we do, uh, I'm gonna let you guys know the handle, and uh, yeah, we'll go from there, and we'll just grow this, grow this bad boy. So uh, as always, uh, stay true to your ancestors; they're always watching you. And yeah, this is your host Sean. I'm signing off, and remember, they are actually watching you. So keep up the good work. Don't disappoint them. All right, until next time.